Norm and I were pretty highly criticized around here because we hunted spring gobblers in the spring. It was, uh, you know, it was absolutely wrong to go out there when those birds were lovesick and kill them it was so easy to do. You know, oh, we, a lot of the sportsmen around, they, they didn't want any part of it. But it wasn't too long till they were coming to Norm and I wanting to go hunting with us. This podcast is brought to you by Creekside Wildlife, specializing in food plotting and habitat management for deer and turkey hunting. If you're ready to get started on improving your property to hold more game, then it's time to contact Creekside Wildlife. Check them out on Facebook and Instagram at Creekside Wildlife. All right, we're here with episode eight. Still turkey season, though. <laughs> it's it's not, <laughs> not quite, yet, tur- not quite it's, turkey season. We're getting there. We're, we're yeah. encroaching on it quickly. Yeah. Right? It's, uh, I was out the other morning. I think I sent you a couple uh, videos. They were fired up that morning. Listen, it's not fair when I'm sitting in a meeting full of VPs and executives <laughs> and I'm getting turkey strutting on my phone. Yeah. I'm like, this is not fair. Yeah. It really is not. Yeah. So, yeah, it's coming up close. Coming up soon here. We're uh, winding down the days for our Virginia trip. So, I'm scrambling to get get everything caught up and, you know, get a little bit of work done in the office before I head out for two months of turkey hunting but um it is what it is so we uh ventured out of the office out of our normal studios tonight so we got a little bit better decor i would say in uh our current situation this is this is quite the 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 place i tell you you could walk around here and still tell stories and ask questions for years i do believe this is so we are in my good friend dawn's basement Don Wheeland is one of the most knowledgeable people that I've ever met when it comes to basically anything outside. So <laughs> whether go. it be hunting, fishing, trapping, welding, anything. So since we started the podcast, I had planned on coming up here and sitting down with them. And I just hope we have enough memory card space for everything that we got to talk about here. So, um, I guess we'll just get right into it. Um, like I said, we got Don Wheeland here. We're in his basement and trophy room slash reloading bench slash everything. So um, just start out, Don, with giving us a little, you know, five-second intro on, you know, how you got started in hunting, what, how old you were when you first went hunting, that sort of thing. Well, hmm. uh, it was a little different back when we started hunting. Uh, I was running around with a 22 when I, in the fields and shooting groundhogs when I was six. And my dad, when he'd go, we'd go rabbit hunting. My brother Norm and I would be, we'd be tagging along behind him. We weren't even six then, probably he was five, six, yeah, in there somewhere. But he carried a little Hamilton 22 and in, in his game bag in the back. And when he'd see a rabbit sitting, then it was we'd t- take turns popping him nice nice (laughs) and uh, so that's how early we started hunting but we were hunting turkeys well probably when we were 14 maybe in that range because we really didn't have a lot of turkeys then and we lived down in pennsylvania furnace tadpole road back in that country and uh there was there were turkeys but they were only there sometimes 
And we and when when turkey season came in, we'd go back and hike back through what was called Quake and Aspala was on our farm back there, and we'd hike back through there and look for turkey scratching. And you might go through there for a couple of weeks and nothing there, and then all of a sudden there'd be a string of turkey scratching through the hollow. And at that point, then we knew we had about a week of turkey hunting. <laughs> and uh, that was the sign, right? Yep, that was it. And then uh, and. Of course, we didn't do too good back then either. We didn't know a lot. And uh, back then, a lot of the old ones, uh, you know, the old fellows that did hunt, uh, there was a lot of stories, you know, oh, just call three times, you know, calc, 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 and then be quiet, you know, be quiet. Well, you know, in time you learn that dumb, <laughs> that works, but uh, <laughs> there's other things work better. Let me back up here real quick. So, uh, Everyone listening kind of has a perspective here. So, you started hunting when you were six. You oh know. yeah, probably. What, what roughly what year was that? Well, let's see. I'm 81, so back up six. Uh, goodness sake, I was I was born in uh, 41, so that would have been about 1946 or seven in there somewhere. Back then. You know, we'll get into this a little bit later, but back then there was no spring turkey season, right? No. Uh -uh. So you're just hunting them in the fall then, yeah. like we yep. do now? Yep. Okay. So, yeah, tell us a little bit about the strategies and, you know, just the how you turkey hunted before the spring season. Well, it was just calling and knowing where they were at and try to break them up if you could, you know, if you could do that. Uh and that's really what we mostly got done. Once we broke them up, then our buddies and I, we'd go get in there the next morning, bright and early in the dark, you know, and be ready to go call them in. And uh, one little story, uh, there's my brother Norm and I, we hunted turkeys. Well, as long as there was turkeys down there from the time we were 12 or 13, we were, we were hunting them but we didn't very often get them. It was a pretty <laughs> rare thing to get it yeah. to, for one of us to get one. But I remember one time, one of our friends, Cy Miller, uh, him and we had broke up a flock, and so Norm and me and Cy went in there. And at that point, we were just getting into the mouth calls a little bit, you know. There was an old fellow in Williamsburg, Brownie Sherman, that used to make them, and that's sort of where we got into it. And uh, but Norm and Cy, they were they both were using mouth calls, and well, I had a, an old box call, a lynch box call, and those turkeys all went to Norm and Cy. They both got their turkeys, and they would not come to that box call at all. <laughs> and so when we get back to the car, I put the box call on the ground, stomped on it. <laughs> Ends that right? That, that ended the that. Fault, right? Yeah. <laughs> from there on, then. We always got into making our own mouth calls then for a long time until you could finally buy good ones. But uh, Now, when you hunted, did you primarily hunt with a uh, shotgun or did you hunt with a rifle? Like, no, what? shotguns. Shotguns? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that was, I, I guess, you, yeah, back then uh, you could hunt with a, a rifle too. There was, you could hunt with anything you wanted to. Do you happen to remember the, your very first turkey that you ever killed? Not really. I I just I remember some of the misses more than I remember <laughs> when I, those are right. the ones you're supposed to forget. <laughs> yeah. Now your family farm down there. What the, the 
course, you and your brother, you know, Norm, um, how big of a place was it? Like, how much ground did you guys well, have? Well, we or? had, Grandpap had two farms. Okay. At that point in time, Grandpap owned both of the farms. And my dad was on one, and my uncle and his family were on the sure. other farm. Yeah. So it was, it was pretty big. I mean, there was, oh, I don't know, of our of our forest wood woodlands in the back part of the farm was uh, probably 120 oh, wow. acres, nice. something like that. Cool. And the front was probably another 80 or 100, and then the rest was all farmland, and I suppose that was uh, another 180 acres, something nice. like that. Yeah. So that was a lot. That was a good bit to it was go walk bit. around, and, you know, oh, see what yeah. you could find. Yep. But we just grew up hunting, and that was just. That's, I guess, that really, in a way, we probably put a little too much into hunting and fishing. <laughs> That's all we ever did. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you told me some stories before, like, you know, that wasn't just a hobby. Like, you, your family relied on, you know, well, wild game. We food. ate everything we killed, and I always believed in that anyway. Absolutely. If I, I mean, see, like going fishing for something I'm not going to eat, well... Uh, you know, I don't go fishing for carp because I'm going to throw them back. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. That's right. And, uh, yeah. I'd sooner catch a striver. That's yeah. right. Yep. So let's fast forward a little bit to, um, you know, you said you grew up mainly hunting fall turkeys back in, you know, the the late 40s and, and uh, through your teen years, I guess. Um, what year was it when? the first spring gobbler season you know i don't know what year it was but i can tell you this Uh, i'm guessing it would have been in the mid 60s maybe 63 4 in there and the reason i'm saying that is i was working at them i came to williamsburg and went to work at envelope in 64 okay and uh, your pap and i started work at envelope at the same day and uh, his uh, McCall, he he was an M and I was a W, so he always had me one seniority. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, the the thing about that was, one day your dad was telling me, or not your dad, now your grandpap, Bob. Uh, he was telling me about this big gobbler that was gobbling around up on the mountain behind your grand great grandfather's house. Yes, on Piney Creek. Mm-hmm. Yep, I don't know about that. So, yep, uh, I think maybe Norm might have put a day in trying to get him, and I know I tried a time or two, and without any success. And then one morning, my dad, Norm, and I, all three of us, went up there. And we, there was there's a little road that went up around the point above the above your your great grandfather's little farm where it was there you know, and uh, we hiked up that road and uh, I was in one area and Norm and Dad was sort of scattered out and everybody was doing a little bit of calling, but the big guy stuck his head up in front of me <laughs> and that I got him and that was 26 pound gobbler oh, which I've never seen one any bigger. And we took turns carrying him down <laughs> off of there. Yeah. And I, I don't know, that was, as far as I know, I've never seen a bigger gobbler than that one. Yeah. Yes, out out west maybe they get bigger, but as far as around here, that's that's a big bird and, for sure. And, and the thing was, it was, uh, 
when your great grandfather's well, it would it would have been off of his. It was on the state game lands, but yeah. it was above his house. Yep. And uh, and it was yeah. your grandfather that told me where the bird was. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I know exactly where you mean. I I've actually shot a turkey in the fall right there, above there. So that that's kind of cool to to know that you know the very first turkey season. I I looked it up here. It looks like 1968 was the first spring gobbler season in pennsylvania and it was held from may 6th to the 11th so well, and it was we, only five days long we would have been in it because like i said i came here in 64 yeah and yeah. uh so you would have i was working been, at envelope let's do some more math here you would have been 27 ish could be somewhere in that area yeah okay yeah that's that's pretty cool to uh hear that you guys were you know well, the, very, the other, the other thing about spring season. gobbler back then, and I think I was telling you about that one day, uh, Norm and I were pretty highly criticized around here because we hunted spring gobblers in the spring. Really? Oh, my Why goodness. Why was that? Well, everybody said it wasn't fair. It was, a, it was a, you know, it was absolutely wrong to go out there when those birds were lovesick and kill them. It was so easy to do, yeah. you know, Oh, we a lot of the sportsmen around they they didn't want any part of it. Boy, it wasn't too long till they were coming to Norm and I wanted to go hunting yeah. with us. I'm assuming none of those people ever hunted deer during the rut then. Uh, probably, <laughs> they probably all did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah. So you guys basically you didn't have anybody that had been hunting turkeys beforehand you kind of had to just figure it out on we, your own we just did it on our own it was that was just a and probably when we got into mouth call and it was because of brownie sherman yeah. uh, lived in town here back in those days and uh, so that was that's how we got on to the mouth call things and nowadays i hardly ever i i have them and like sort of use them but i'm not very good with a mouth call anymore yeah. getting too old <laughs> right i yeah. like a slate anyway that's right now when you you know after you said that season started you know in the spring how long did it take um as far as for the community and people to realize hey you know the spring is a good time to go out there and hunt how long it did it take took them to a good while i bet it was 10 years no kidding but there were guys going there were other guys that wanted to go with us quicker than that you know but it was still it, it got off to a slow start wow people I, people uh there was a lot of criticism if you was hunting turkeys yeah. in the spring yeah that's i mean that could be said with a lot of roles i mean any anything that gets introduced you know there's always always that group of people but um so what were you using back then for a gun you said you use a shotgun but uh do you remember what what type of I, shotgun? Or? I had uh, 16 gauge double barrel Fox. Okay. Double barrel. What was Norm using? Norm, I don't know what he started with in through there, but it wasn't very long till he had one of those Browning automatics. I know what you're talking about. I was going to ask if you were using that 10 gauge back then. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, man. I, he showed I, me that gun, and I'll tell you, you're a man, you carry that around in the woods. <laughs> I mean, and I carried that all up over these mountains and everything else. But uh, I even shot turkeys. I shot a turkey with it here maybe five, six years ago. But that was right out here. I didn't carry it up on the mountain anymore. <laughs> hey, if they're coming that close, why go chasing, <laughs> yeah. right? Well, anymore, they have to come to me. <laughs> I don't right. go to them. That's right.
That was your Fox gun, isn't it? The yeah, 10 that that was the yeah. that was the money gun. Yeah. Well, back then, that the fox hunting was uh, probably. Well, I always liked calling. Period. So fox calling was there was money in it, and when they were going for like when you was getting seventy, eighty bucks for a red fox and forty-five for a gray fox, I was, we were killing. Norm was into the coon hunting a lot harder, and coons were forty bucks a piece, you know. So. I'd come in with about 60 or 80 foxes and 40 coons or something like that, maybe a few more than that. But That's a good payday. I, I had a, oh, you're not kidding. I made more money every every week. I made more money on fur than I made at work. <laughs> yep. That makes it hard to go to work, doesn't it? Well, that's one of the reasons I worked where I did for a good while. They left me uh, name my own hours. I could go in in the morning. I'd run a trap line hunt foxes at night and go to work at about 9 or 9.30, 10 o'clock in the morning. Then I'd have to stay till maybe 6.30 or 7. As long as I got my work done for that day, uh, it didn't didn't really matter. So, Because uh, I'd worked at PPG for about eight years and uh, got laid off, got caught in the layoff there, and I'd go on to Barish Advertising, and uh, I was doing screen printing for them. So uh, through those that period of time, whenever PPG called me back, I decided I'd stay with Barish. So I did. I'd have made more money, I guess, if I'd have stayed with PPG, but not really. Yeah. Yeah, that. I think those days are probably not coming back when you can make more money in fur than you would. <laughs> yeah. Than yep. you would at work. But oh no, that's yeah. over. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I love hearing those stories Heck from, yeah. from back then. And I, I think at one point we talked about, um, I asked him why he never had pictures of it, of all the all the fur and stuff. But it, they were getting so many, and, and they were buying them on the carcass that they would just, you know, go out and hunt them and, and take them right so to, the, to, to the fur them, You didn't have to skin them or nothing. Well, a good bit of that. But like coon hunting, uh, we skinned as we went. You know, we'd throw, as soon as we shot one down, the dogs would take on off, and there was a dog, I hunted one dog at a time, but uh, you'd be skinning one, and a lot of times the next one would be treed before you got this one skinned. Carried a pack where you'd throw it in the basket in the back and yeah, yeah. take off, and we'd, really, uh, a lot of nights you'd get seven, eight coon real quick, and I always tried to quit. My rule was quit at 11. Uh, with the dog because i had to get up and then go check traps in the morning and then go to work oh man <laughs> and if it was a really nice calling night then i'd leave the dog at home and i'd go out shooting foxes and back then nobody was doing it nowadays fox calling boy it, it's a lot lot harder now yeah yeah i mean everybody's out there doing it and back whenever i was doing it it really worked I mean, boy, you'd start it up, and sometimes you'd be have five or six foxes coming running in, and you'd get one or two. Yeah. All no. the time you spent in the woods, whether it's turkey hunting, whether it's, you know, doing your, um, you know, your trapping or, for, you know, fur taking or whatever, in your era, ticks, the almighty tick that we have now. I, I can remember as a kid running through the woods barefoot. We didn't know what a tick was. Well, when we went coon hunting at night, a lot of times we'd lay down in the leaves and the dogs would be off somewhere. You'd just lay down and thought nothing of it. We 
camped. We just laid out in the ground, you know, and now, boy, oh, you're not kidding. I mean, I was already, uh, I got bitten 21 and put me in the hospital in Shadyside out in Pittsburgh. Oh, yeah, I just about didn't make it through that deal. And then two weeks ago, I got bit again. Only that time, well, and I had the big bullseye and all that, and that sent me packing off to the doctor to get put on antibiotics. And I guess I got through this one Here all we right. Are. Here we are. <laughs> but, yeah, it's like I was telling Mike, I was like, you know, growing up as a kid, we just go. You know, nobody, like we didn't even think, like running barefoot, just going, you know, and come back, and it's like, you're looking for cuts, you know. You're looking for, hey, where's that blood coming from? You know, you're not worried about bugs. Oh, you know? nobody. I remember that. finding a tick on a raccoon once or twice, mm -hmm. and and I, that was I wondered what what is that thing, you sure. know. But then at one time when I was trapping, we used to buy I'd get logwood chips and to cook my traps in, and it, they came from down south, and it, they came in just a big old grocery bag, a brown paper grocery bag. And I'd be reaching in and uh, just scooping them up, throwing them in the kettle, you know. And later on, I happened to look down at my wrist, and here's this big old fat tick stuck on my wrist. And, boy, I mean, I'd never – I had him ripped off of there so fast, you know. That <laughs> right. But that one wasn't carrying anything, no, you know. No, no. Yeah. Uh, but nowadays – and it was a bigger tick. Yeah. Yep, I've seen them down in Georgia. I've seen them. They get about the size of a dime, you know, like on a dog or yeah, whatever. Yeah, the get... one that was on me was like my finger, a little fingernail. Yeah, absolutely. But nothing like this stuff we have now. No, no, no. no. Yeah, now like, like he these, said, some of these now are so small they're like a grain of sand. Yeah, it's tough to see. Like even like with my kids, I try to show them, hey, this is what they look like, you know. And I put them on the white stovetop just so you can see it. Yeah, you know. And they're like, what is it? And I'm like, oh, it's a tick. And they're like. You know, it doesn't register what it really is, you know, but, but like Mike says, man, you go out there now and you're spraying all kinds of stuff to just keep them away from you, yep. you know? You better be spraying. That's right. You don't need that stuff. Well, like the troubles you've had. I mean, we don't. Well, yeah. And see the one that bit me, I, I just was mowing my yard and I'm sure I got in close to the brush and it went down my neck probably cause it was on my back. My wife was away on a trip somewhere and. I didn't know I was, I didn't know it was back there. I never felt it or anything, and I don't even know if it was on there a day or two days or what. But I got up in the morning, jumped in the shower, and that night I'd noticed my back itching a little, you know. And I I got in the shower and I lathering up a little bit, and I was reaching around my back, and I felt that little flip flip, and I knew instantly that that what it was. And I mean, and my reaction was just I just scraped him right off, and down the drain he went and after i got out of the tub no i got a mirror and i looked and yeah there was a little red spot there a little pink place you know and i really just forgot about it after that and about a week later all of a sudden here i was running a real high fever and i'd soak and wet with sweat and going on and a day of, no, we didn't think anything about it we forgot and so a couple of days later I cleared all up. And by a few more days after that, boy, then I really went down. And my oldest son, Mark, and my wife loaded me up and hauled me up to Nason to the emergency room. And I spent five or six days in there, seven maybe, and then three days out in Shadyside because that was in 21, right at the height of the pandemic. And my 
my blood count went way down. My kidneys were damaged, were, were failing, and my liver was damaged. And they couldn't get me into the Altoona. They were trying to get me out of Nason into somewhere that had uh, some kind of a, I forget what it was they were trying to get me into. Johnstown couldn't take me. And finally, Shadyside in Pittsburgh said they'd take me, so they shipped me off there. And uh, I was over there for three days. And uh, at that point, uh, it was definitely Lyme. Plus, they said I had something else that the ticks were carrying. But and they could. It was too late to isolate it and figure out which what disease, what uh, virus it was. Sure. Know? So wow. Something so small, you know, just takes you right. Out, you know, takes you right to the ground. Well, I tell you what else too. Your blinds, you know, wherever you have blinds set up, be nice to take a sprayer, go up there and just spray inside on the ground inside and on your blind because they're in there oh, they're yeah. almost for sure. Yeah, I I've been being pretty thorough the last few years of, you know, spraying all my clothes, hanging them up on the fence and and my vest and my boots and and all that stuff, but. Well, a lot of guys, I know guys that are afraid to hunt now. They've quit. Well, with with effects like this, you know, that, you know, you get, you hear horror stories pretty much, you know, and it's like, I mean, I've, I had a, a tick bite and I didn't know it was there like you, like you just feel something on your back. I had mine, you know, down on my side or over here and I was like, why is my back hot? You know, and then I'm like, that's itchy, you know, and it was like two, three days later and I'm like, same deal. You know, you're rolling a fever like crazy and like you just every point like you just want to sit perfectly still everything hurts like it doesn't matter everything hurts like you don't want to do anything no i thought i I really figured i i figured i was going on that and i think the doctors they were really they when they finally got me out of nason they were really happy they were really worried yep and when i left the hospital in shadyside on the way home my right eye started uh, carrying on getting really bad and bad the virus got into my right eye. Did you have vision? Do you still have vision effects from that? No. I got back here, and I, right away I called my eye doctor. And uh, I called her, and she said, come in right away. So I went in, and she took one look, and she, just, she was ready to send me back to Pittsburgh. And if she wouldn't have found a doctor in state college that was capable and willing to put, get me in right away, you know, uh, uh, and but she did the right things, and she got me into state college, and it all worked out. I got rid of the. I mean, it straightened up after a week or so. But it's dangerous. I mean, ticks. You don't want to. You you don't want to take them for granted. No, something that small. You I mean you think, yeah, it's just a bug. Yeah. You know, let me tell you what, that bug will wreak havoc on you real quick. Yeah, you know. Let's uh, let's back up here a little bit. Um, you know, looking at the the new hat you got on there, the, the mossy oak bottom land, uh, you know, we were talking, you know, that pattern was made back in the eighties and now it's sort of becoming a, a new, you know, craze. Everyone's going back to the, you know, the old school camo we call it, but you were turkey hunting, you know, 20 something years before this camo was even made. So what did you guys wear back then? Blue jeans and a flannel shirt, <laughs> red and black flannel shirt, right? Yeah. There you go. Whatever. Yeah. That's, that's it. it. I mean, that's that's about right. That's yeah. uh, and you know maybe a uh, uh, brown duck hunting coat. You know, yeah. something of that sort. 
depending on how hot the weather was and whatever. And if not, then a, probably a vest, you know. And then turkey season, like in the fall, when, like, there was no orange regulations, you didn't have to, nobody Market, talked about that. No, huh? None of that? Nope. Right. Nope. Yeah, that's funny because that's actually how I met Don was through his brother Norm. Dad and him were good friends. And uh, so my first few turkey hunts when I was 12 were with Norm and Dad. And I show up and I was like, who is this old man and why is he wearing <laughs> blue jeans and a flannel shirt? Here I am. My face is painted. I got camo, everything. I probably had camo underwear on at that <laughs> point. And and I, I could tell you 20 stories about times that I may have doubted their knowledge back then you know i was a young kid you know knew everything of course you know now look where we're at and uh we're soaking it up now yeah right and you know i just i just always remember that and and you know norm norm probably has more turkeys under his belt than more most people that i've ever met or will ever meet so he's not one to doubt when it comes to, to turkey hunting so yeah he's uh, probably one of the better turkey hunters ever been around here yeah i i would say i i'll argue that with anyone <laughs> growing up the, the biggest thing i can remember just being uh john robley had the archery shop you know down there in lower piney creek i can remember the pictures of in the back of norm's yard that that bush he has in the back of his yard it turns like that beautiful violet color and your dad having pictures taken there with the turkeys in front of it i'm like that that must be the that must be the thing you know. Do you remember his whole garage? With that, you looked at the garage and it was all turkey That's turkey right. fans That's stuck right. stuck on the garage. Yeah. Yep. I drive, you could drive by and you get get a peek of it as you go by. He'd have the garage door open. You know, like yeah. that's that's where it's at right yep, there for sure. Yeah, I, I think that's funny how, you know, it started out as blue jeans and flannels, and now you know you got all these different camos and. Yeah, Mike doesn't go in the woods if his camo doesn't match. Oh, you know, that, that's the same thing with archery in '57. You know. Back in the 50s when we got into it, uh, I mean, I don't even remember when the first archery season was. But, uh, like I said, that deer up there was 1957 that I shot it. And I guarantee you I had a pair of blue jeans on and a flannel shirt. I mean, we didn't have any camo. Hey, did, you, did you ever try to, um, you know, being with archery and stuff and, and younger, did you ever try to go bow hunting for a turkey? Did you ever try that? Did you ever get the idea, not, hey, let's try not, that? Yeah. No, not too much. I mean, we figured uh, turkeys was, uh, well, if I got one in, I wanted him. That's right. <laughs> and <laughs> That's a it. shotgun, That's it. my odds were way better with that twelve with that 16 gauge. Heck yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, I remember a time where I thought what Micah said. I thought it's going to be cool to get a turkey with a bow. And I think I had only killed one or two, so I was – hyped up and pretty confident that I was, you know, the, the greatest turkey hunter on the planet. And, you know, num number three, I'm going to take my bow. Well, Dad and Norm were along, and what do you think they were carrying? Not a bow. So, you know, we were over there by his house, and and three longbeards came flying down and marched right in. We had a decoy out. They marched right into the, the decoys, and – I don't know why they they decided that I didn't need to shoot first. It must have been a mutual decision. I was outnumbered clearly, so the bow got to stay laying on the ground there, and and they both doubled up, and it could have been a triple. You don't hear too much about triples, you know. But um, I thought that was funny though. So that that was one of my 
bow hunting experience. Well, I can so. tell you about another one of your experiences too. Remember when you and I were in the blind and uh, the turkeys was coming in and you had the bow, but you set the bow down and picked up the shotgun. Oh yeah, that was the first <laughs> one should... I got up here. Yep. Now, why did that decision change all of a sudden? Yeah, that was well, that was probably because of my prior. Okay. Topic, <laughs> all right. You know, that was where the blind is now. I should. Oh yeah. On the way yeah. up here. Yep. And, and it came in behind us, so that, that turkey was no more than <laughs> here to the wood stove behind us, though. So I knew I had to make a quick move. and and uh, The move was with the yeah, gun. The bow I, stayed on the ground. I thought you were going to tell the other story about... Well, well, the doubles bit. He's really good. Him and his dad are good at the doubles, but he wasn't too good at doubles at one time. Oh. <laughs> one time, we called two in, and they came right up over and come marching in, and you take the one on the right, I'll take the one on the left. He was sitting here, and I was sitting here. And one, two, three, boom! Mine was down, and his went gone. <laughs> I thought you were going to say you both shot the same bird. You no. didn't know which way it was No, left. That's, what I, that's what I think happened. <laughs> that's what he'd like to that's say. That's right, that's right. <laughs> he ought to say it. He ought to tell the story that way. Yeah. yeah. May- I know that, that other turkey, whoever was shooting at it, I saw it going the whole way across the river over here. It was going over into the farm fields. but He yeah. got pretty good at it after that. There you go. Yeah. We've had three doubles. Three with times now, then. yeah. Yeah. Not with me and you yet. We'll have to, no, that, we'll have to try that again sometime. That'll here, probably but. never happen now. Yeah. Nah, we got a – you got a couple more under your belt at least. <laughs> they're getting they're getting scarce. Yeah. Um that was one of the hunts that made me start opening up my choke tube because those turkeys were probably here to the wood stove, very close. And if if anyone tells you you can't miss a turkey with a shotgun, they are wrong cuz there's way more room around their head than than on their head. So what you're saying is you killed it with wood. I probably, you know, could. if it would have hit him, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> but yeah, that was that was a fun hunt, though. Either either way, but what are some of the biggest differences from turkey hunting back then until now? I mean, we we talked a little bit about it, you know, obviously the the advancements in technology, but you know, what do you? What's one thing that you wish you would have had back then? as far as upgrades to equipment or calls or or anything like that probably probably not really anything because uh you know is it as as the spring gobber hunting especially grew uh you it just it got to the point where i mean we had to learn it and find our way through but then it came a time where there were cassettes and there were uh, all kind of tapes and, and a whole slew of calls you could buy. I mean, you could buy calls back then, too, even right up Clover Creek here. There was uh, roads that made calls, and uh, but they were a little wooden call and uh, turkey wings. People used to make them out of turkey wings. But uh, now, I mean, as it, as it went on, though, now you just buy uh, buy a, a tape and sit and listen to it a little bit, you know, and get out there and uh, where. But what we learned was, you know, we always just tried to if the turkey was talking, talk back the same way he's talking to you. Is what that was just what we always did. If you can learn that turkey language, 
man, it doesn't matter how you split it. If you can talk to them, you got it made. Yeah. Yeah. That always interests me. I mean, we're, you know, obviously we have a lot more technology now than we did back then, but you know, those guys, they had to figure it out on their own. I mean, you know, the, the woodsmanship was, you know, 90% of the battle back then, I guess is, well, and I, another thing, too, is, you know, we were really proud when we killed a gobbler. There hadn't been very many of our neighbors ever killed a gobbler. We came in with a big old gobbler. Well, we were pretty happy That's with right. that. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, think back. I know you have a ton of stories to tell us, but you already told us the one about the 26-pounder that you killed your very first year. What would uh, – just pick out a few of, that you can remember – of your best or your favorite hunts or um, stuff that sticks out in your mind as some of your favorite turkey hunting stories? I suppose the favorite one was when you missed that double. We already went over that one. You can't. <laughs> Do it again. Do it again. Doesn't count. Yeah. I'm all for it, man. Do if it again. If you wouldn't have told that, that would, you're going to have to go back and we'll have to tell Boy. another one. That doesn't count. Well, I mean, anybody on turkeys had plenty of misses, that's yeah. for sure. Uh, yeah. Boy, that probably I, won't be my last one, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Norm and I probably, we, we hunted turkeys a lot together. And the, and a, a, there was a period of time there where his ears, he still could hear and I couldn't. And lots of times he'd say, hear that turkey. I'd say, no, I can't. Where's it? You know, I, I couldn't hear a thing. They had to get a lot closer to me for me to hear them before I'd know there was one coming. He could always hear them twice as far away as I did. And so that gave him an advantage real quick, too. A lot of times, I probably got up and walked away at times when there was a turkey somewhere out there calling at me. Yeah, that happens to me often. That's how I know when I need to get get the safe off, because if I start hearing them, usually that means they're, you know, within 100 yards and I need to get ready. So Yeah, you need... need, uh, one of those pair of walkers, game, game ears, or yeah. one of those. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Turn the volume up. Yeah. Those those work well, but for me, my problem is when I'm wearing them, I can't tell whether he's out in front of me or behind me. I can just hear him. Yeah. You know? I've never so. really had a pair of them to try. I I have hearing aids, but they're kind of useless too. So. So what would one of your your favorite hunts be that you can remember from the over the years? Boy, I don't know. Let me think about that a bit. Uh, I'll tell you what was one of the, now this is, this is a thing of a little bit of greed. I was a young kid about, uh, maybe 15 and I had that Fox, uh, double barrel 16 gauge. And I'd made a trip back through our, that quake and ass and saw where the turkeys had come through, a flock had come in. And so I started following them, following them, and they went about a mile before I finally caught up. And I came up over a bump, and I was sneaking along and come up over a bump, and there they were, the flock of them all around me. And they started flying, and I saw this one gobbler go up, and I pulled up, and boom, down he went. And another big gobbler went up, and I boom, down he went. And they both jumped up and ran away, and my gun was empty. And I got nothing. <laughs> and see, there was I was cheating. Yeah, <laughs> that was a fifteen-year-old kid learned a lesson right there. Yeah, real quick, uh, I think right? the uh, 
statute of limitations is probably up on that. I yeah, no, we're I, good. Yeah, I, I sure don't have that. anybody coming after you. No. Yeah, I doubt anybody this. will come after me now. <laughs> no. Yeah. What about the? What about you know from you know from the fifties and sixties when you know early early in your turkey hunting career, um, something has changed that like it's just not the same. You know, it, it, like to say that on a negative scale, like hey, you know, whether it be population, whether it be the the amount of hunting pressure that is out there now, what do you see as something that, man, I wish it would go back to the way it was. Hmm. Well, I think there's a whole lot more people hunting them now, and maybe uh, these guys can tell you more, but there was a period of time there where, well, you know, when we started hunting, we uh, we used a gobble call a lot. I mean, it works fine, but you're taking a chance of somebody shooting at you. So uh, we kind of had to put that away when people started getting shot. But uh, now I kind of forget what I was getting at there. Uh, uh, I don't know. Uh, that's the age coming that's through. A, you know, hey, get that's part of there. it. Yeah, as far as something that, that's a that we wish it would go back to the way it was as a something oh, you see now. Well, what I was saying now that brings it back. Uh, there was a period of time there where when you'd be up there calling a lot of times, uh, a gobbler, you'd have a gobbler, you'd be working one and people come running, you know, hunters would come running in and, uh, thinking that they could run in and get a shot at it and stuff. Now I think that's kind of pretty well past now. I, I think most of the hunters out there today, uh, probably know enough to set tight, but it probably still happens, but it happened a lot back then. Have you ever had any close calls like that? Not, I never had, well, I, I have had times when I laid down behind a log and stayed put till the other guys got out of there. I, I had, uh, you knew I, what I, was coming. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Got it. I was there calling and guys moved in and, uh oh, then I was afraid to move, you know, so. Just lay there and shut up. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's it. I don't remember what what the dates would be on this, obviously, before my time, but um, when they started using decoys, did you guys ever get into that back then? And Yeah, I know? bought some old decoys. They're out there in the closet, and I never had any real luck with them. Really? Nope. Hmm. I always just... Uh, I never, I can't say that I ever shot a turkey off a decoy. If you had to put a number, if you had to put a number on the turkeys you've harvested in your lifetime, how many do you think you've taken? Oh, not a whole lot. Maybe 50. Not a whole lot. <laughs> not a whole lot. I haven't, I haven't shot <laughs> I one yet. Yeah. Mike is fresh turkey hunter. Yeah. Last year was his first year yeah. ever going, and yeah. he didn't even get to pull the trigger, and he's he's been obsessed with it ever it since is. so it'll well most years i mean up until just recently i guess we probably killed a turkey or two every year you know you uh when the gobbler season come along you had fall turkey you kill a hen or a gobbler and usually we got a quite often we'd get a gobbler in the fall too and uh, especially after i moved here i moved here and 91 or 92 to this into my house here now and uh boy this was real good turkey hunting then it's not nearly as good now as it was back then what do you think attributes to that 
as far as raccoons, I think. All for the eggs. Uh, killing, uh, yeah. yeah okay. I used to have uh, right here, you know, in front of my house, there's that wood patch, and uh, there would be usually three hens would have nests in there. I'd watch them going into their nests. They'd, I'd have gobblers and hens all over my yard, and uh, then they would. Uh, for a number of years, they would hatch and they'd come out and they into my yard, you know, and there'd be a whole bunch of little ones with them. And they'd actually raise them and they'd come fall, there was turkeys all over here. And then now, after for the last, I'd say, seven or eight years, I haven't seen any of them successfully. And they still, there still will be hens lay, have nests here in front of my house down here. And I bet you there hasn't been a successful clutch come out of there in the last six, seven years. Wow. But there's nobody hunts coons. There's coons say, all over the place here. Sure. Possums, skunks, foxes. Yeah. yeah, I remember what that one year that we trapped and sold our fur the last time. I think we had 25 coons that year, and, and we averaged a couple bucks a piece. Yeah, you know? it was just for the fun. I mean, yeah. the money days was already over, yeah. and we had some foxes and whatever. And yep. And there's just there's just not near the amount of people trapping anymore, you know. And then bobcats. There's the other thing. Uh, we always had a few bobcats, but uh, whenever I was a kid, the bobcats was really scarce. I mean, growing up, I maybe only ever saw two or three bobcats until I, I it was in after I moved here to Williamsburg, uh, calling turkeys. I called bobcats in a couple really? times while I was setting out calling turkeys. So as much as you hunted at night for coyotes or for foxes and stuff, I'm sorry, um, did you ever see coyotes back then? No. Uh -uh. Well, there was no coyotes. No. I can remember as a kid, nobody even talked to that. You know, and I, I was born in 81. You know, and I, I don't remember my first coyote till I was probably mid-90s, you know, something like that. That's when I think I saw my first coyote. You know, that type of deal. And even then, I'm like, Who, whose dog's that? Yeah. You know, that type of deal. But, yeah. yeah. I mean, I that remember, was... remember a time when I would save the picture from a trail camera and, and show everybody because oh, I got a coyote on camera. And now it's just, yeah. I don't think I go a couple of days without getting one. I, I've caught three of them here in the yard with trap. Really? Yeah. Most years, I stick a trap or two out here at the corner of the yard. I didn't even, last year or this year, I didn't. And, uh. I should be setting a couple out, but eh, it was just, I don't know if it was weather or what, yeah. but I, this past year, there was some reason why I didn't, didn't put much traps out. I, so that would put a big, a big hurt in the population. I mean, think about it. So an average clutch, you know, from a, from a hen, you know, consider eight, 10 poults. Yeah. Yeah, probably sometimes you know? more, a dozen. Yeah. So you know? sure. Considered a dozen. I mean, you knock that down in a third. Yeah, that's that's. Well, nothing really. I think right. mostly those hens. Uh, the last few years, there's only maybe been once or twice that there's been a hen came out with chicks. Oh, really? But before, and within a week, she is coming out with no chicks. Yeah. That fast. Yes. Yeah. I've been I've been doing a lot of research on this topic, because for the last five six years my opinion was too many raccoons but it it changed a little bit i i still think the raccoons are an issue but i've been looking and reading a lot um turkeys for tomorrow the organization 
has a podcast now called Wild Turkey Science, and they dive into a lot more science than I know. I mean, these are biologists and, you know, professors, and, and they've been coming out with a lot of research on turkeys, you know, GPS hens and, and just all kinds of different information that trying to figure out because it, it's not just here. If you research turkey populations throughout the whole country, their average are low. And so I, you know, wanted to figure out, you know, if my theories were right and stuff and, and don't quote me on any of these numbers, but, but it was something like ridiculous numbers of hen nests that don't survive every year. And, um, let me think about this for a minute. It, it was, I think it was like 60% of the, um, let me think here. 60% of the time, if a hen gets flushed off her nest, she will not return to that nest and abandons it. Really? Don't, don't quote me on that percentage, but it, it was something like a astronomically high number. So if a predator bumps her once. That's done. Yes. Like, it's done and, and over with. And this this, well, this is my point with the raccoons. They absolutely will eat the eggs. But the studies pointed, you know, and, and these were all over the country, not necessarily just Pennsylvania, but um, the studies were showing that um, typically if a raccoon would happen to wander by a hen at night, she's going to basically – fight them off or you know keep on her nest and the raccoon's gonna you know go on by now this is a study this is not every case so you know there probably has been a time where you know a big old boracoon will flush a hen off the nest and i'm sure you know eat the eggs at that point but the the moral of the story i guess was that if 60 percent of the time the the hen is abandoning the nest Raccoons are, in fact, the cause of the eggs being eaten because they're coming along to a, basically a dinner plate with no one protecting it, and they're going to eat it. But the reason for the hen leaving the nest wasn't necessarily always the raccoon. It could be a bobcat, a fox, which obviously will flush them, and they'll even eat the eggs as well. But, you know, I guess... It made me, I still agree we should, you know, be getting rid of the raccoons, but um, there's a lot more habitat issues that could be addressed as far as, you know. Do you think where the turkeys are nesting has a, you know, a, you know or how they're nesting, you know, has a detrimental yeah. effect ba- on those Basically, that's, too? that's what, and, and again, this is just me re, reciting messages or, you know, information. Um, helping with habitat and making habitat better for turkey nesting would have more of an impact at this point than just going out and getting rid of the raccoon population essentially but it and it all needs to work hand in hand i mean we you know you definitely need, need, to, need to be able that, to do a little bit of yeah. everything but predator um, control doesn't hurt i mean that's yeah that's for i sure. guess i guess my the short version of all that would be you know if if you have a property or you know, you're just wanting to help out your local turkey population. Just going and killing raccoons will definitely help, but it's not the 
end all be all I guess for for that and um that's not even touching on the birds of prey I mean you could probably tell me from back back when you were younger I don't remember even when I was younger the amount of hawks and eagles and Ospreys and all that stuff are around. I mean, what what was that stuff like well, back, we back didn't, then? We didn't have any eagles. Yeah. But we had lots of great horned owls. Okay. And red-tailed hawks, you know. Yeah. And, but uh, that was pretty much the, yeah. the and thing. And I, I, he- I heard that great horned owl was one of the studies. Um, and, again, I don't know where all these studies were located. But it was the great horned owl was the number one predator of an adult male turkey now obviously around here that doesn't seem right because we're not used to seeing them but you know we're talking 50 states you know okay over the whole country averaged but yeah definitely those are two big birds encourage man. everybody to go yeah. check out the wild turkey science That's... podcast because it blows my mind i listen to it in the trail all the time and some of the stuff that they're you know, you kind of get sheltered, you know, we're here in our own little bubble of central Pennsylvania, but you start listening and, you know, in the last few years, I've been traveling a little more turkey hunting and, you know, seeing the effects in other states. And, you know, it's crazy that, you know, there's a lot of people out there worried about the turkey population. And it was interesting to to start hearing some of these, you know, opinions. And one thing that, uh, I would say those, and I, I mean, I can't say I never really paid attention to the thing, but, uh, you know, back when, when, uh, fur harvesting was the big thing, you know, when, when we were trapping hard and everything, the turkey explosion came after the, when, at, at, toward the end of the, when we were really killing raccoons and foxes and all that stuff, uh, that's uh, because earlier when I came to Williamsburg, there weren't flocks of turkeys everywhere. I mean, I'm telling you, you you you, you spent time trying to locate and know where there was a flock a flock of turkeys. Yeah. Nowadays, you can pretty much go turkey hunting anywhere around. Just go out and listen a little bit here for spring gobbler, and you'll hear them somewhere. And back then, no, it wasn't like that. So you're saying that after the years well, where even I think yeah, I think. I think with then we weren't the only ones. I mean, everybody in oh, the absolutely. country around here was out running coon hounds and fox hounds and all that and trapping. Yep. And uh, it wasn't just us. I mean, we we did our share, but there was everywhere everywhere you went, there were trappers. And, and I think to to that point, that was a larger scale of trapping. I mean, it was you oh know, yeah from here to. It as was, far as you could see, everybody was trapping for money, so naturally the predator population is going to be knocked down a bunch. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely agree that. So I still think predators they they, they still play their part in the population. And now here we have the fishers, and we have a lot higher number of bobcats, and the coyotes. I bet you coyotes can catch a turkey at oh, times. Yeah. And I guess that's what what I was getting at was I was like anti-raccoon specifically for the longest time and i i guess after i learned and did a little bit more research i i feel like it's leveled out a little more that you know maybe we shouldn't just be targeting raccoons maybe we should 
be back to targeting coyotes as well, you know, because they're they're likely to be the culprit of bumping a hen off of her nest, you know, and and more so than just, you know, trying to wipe out every raccoon. Well, you, one thing you don't need to worry about that, you, you'll you never wipe out all the coons. If the coons get wiped out, it'll be distemper, hepatitis, or rabies. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and that, so basically that's, that's where you're left is, you know, and that's, that's probably why it was quote unquote effective back during the fur boom was because it's not just me and you wanting to go out to our, you know, local 500 acre turkey spot and, and trap raccoons because, you know, there's a lot more space around than what we're hunting and the coons are going to disperse and, you know, fill back in. But I think, I think if anything was an effective control was back when everybody was doing it. I mean, you know. Yeah, from, when there was money in it. Yeah. yeah and that's, that's, a dri- yep. that's what drives yeah. it. And I saw a study, not a study, a program. Um, I'd love to see this happen here. Um, it, it was sort of like a two-part deal. They were trying to get thin out some coons, but also get some youth involved. Um, there was a grant, I believe it was South Dakota, they they gave a bounty to anyone under 18 that turned in a raccoon. So it was, you know, promoting kids, getting out and trapping, but also helping the turkey population, and they made a little bit of money during it. So um, there's some states that are, you know, trying to do stuff like that. So that was interesting to hear. But, yeah, definitely check out the Wild Turkey Science podcast that Turkeys for Tomorrow are doing. There's There's a lot of... A lot of information on there that's miles and miles above my knowledge or pay grade or whatever you want to say. You know, people that actually know what they're talking about. I'm just, I'm just relaying the information. So I know until um, you brought to my attention the the bobcat trapping. I never, never really understood it. Never really, you know, whatever. You know, I see you know pictures of bobcats and this and that. And you were saying about how predictable they are and this and that, you know, about, you know, the resourcefulness of a bobcat. And I'm like, you're crazy. And then they, finally he was like, listen, you know where this spot is. You watch here. You'll see a bobcat. And I'm like, what's what's he know? You know, I've seen two there. I've seen two there in the past year and a half. And it's like if you're quiet and you're patient, they're there. And it, it's incredible how fast they're there. And you just saw them. And then they're gone. And, like, listen, if they can come and go that fast, to, to me, the way I look at it is this, is, okay, what is the natural predator to a raccoon and a bobcat? What is their predator? Exactly. Maybe a coyote, a coyote might kill a coon once in a while, but right. probably not. I mean, so, a coon's a fighter. So, exactly. So, if you have something that resilient and that effective as a killer, you know, as, that's the way they survive, right? So, then what keeps them in check? If we're not... What is? And like like you said, so then you go to the point of the population of you're going to go to distemper and you're going to go to rabies and then all these other factors. And why? You know, why would the population need to go that high? What, why are we why are we not doing that? Do our part. You know, I mean, it's a good it, it's a good effective thing for for youth, you know, for for people. You know, it's a good it's a it's an it's a target thing. You know, it's a it's an acquisition thing. It's a harvest. You know, it's a good thing, you know, but uh but uh, it is work, it, you oh know. My. If you're really serious trapping, it's yeah. a lot of hard work. Right, right. It's hard work. And 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 in this day and age, in 2023, that's four letter word that a lot of people don't like. 
you know, and, and it really comes off as a as a brass subject. You know, hey, you know that's another thing too. <laughs> when whenever we were trapping for money and everything, you know, we didn't have four wheelers. And nowadays, the tra- the guys that are trapping are out there for fun. Or they're riding around with a, on a four wheeler, run right up, jump off, set a trap, jump back on, and go. Man, I hiked over the hills with a trapping basket on my back. And then went to work. And it was work. <laughs> when you knew you were getting, you know, 50 bucks for a raccoon. There's yeah. A, there's even incentive. back then. There's yeah, incentive that, there. Yeah, and that's where that, I mean, it. there's still your, you know, group of trappers out there. Because, I mean, you know, you have the argument, you know, we don't make any money off of deer or turkey hunting. So, you know, you shouldn't quit trapping because there's no money in it, you know, if you like to do it. But it is a little messier and, you know, harder work and low reward versus, you know, hunting or, or it's fishing exciting, or anything. Yeah. But, you know, it's definitely not for everybody. If, if you have that passion and, and it's something you like to do, yeah. it doesn't matter if it's a, you know. Well, th- you have to go every day. And uh, there's always that excitement of the next trap. What's going to be in it, you know? I've seen that in my kids. Well, for goodness sakes, we set mouse traps, you know, yeah. <laughs> and and they're so excited. Can we go check the traps? Can we go check the traps? Well, yeah, and you walk up and there's a big old coyote there bouncing and flopping around you there. That's exciting. That's where the adrenaline and starts. It gets your heart going. That's right. Absolutely. <laughs> well, let's uh, let's cycle back here and get back on topic with turkeys. Um, <laughs> I have I have plans for a strict trapping episode with you and Norm at some point because you know, like I said before, we could. We could go on and on about everything in this room right now, you know, and and fill up a couple memory cards. But um, so we're, we're gonna wind this down here a little bit. We're about in an hour. This will be our longest podcast to boot. So um, what we're gonna do for this, you know, turkey series that we've been doing here is I'm gonna I'm gonna throw out four different scenarios, and we want to hear how you would go about it. You know, if you're if you're trying to kill a turkey, I'm going to give you four different scenarios, and I want you to tell me what what you would do to try to be successful. And we we kind of want to get you know multiple people's different opinion on these. So um, the first one here is going to be public land. You roosted a bird the night before. Um, there's easy access. You, and you know, let's let's just say he's he's out of game lands road, you know, a path, and and it drops down into a deep hollow, and you were able to get in there and and roost him. He flew up, gobbled a couple times, and you know, essentially within 50 yards of where he's sitting. So, what would you do if you were trying to hunt that? Let's just say it's a Saturday, public land. There might be other guys in there. What are you gonna do to try to get that bird? I'd probably move in as close as I thought I could get within 100 yards. And then for me, it's just a matter of a couple little clucks that are putts and shut up. Let the gobblers that's on the tree, you know he's there. Let him know where you're at and then quit because you're, you're the rest of, if there's other hunters around or whatever, he knows where you're at when he flies downhill. Hopefully he's going to head your way. And if he comes, once he hits the ground and he's calling, then, yeah, yeah, go ahead and call a little bit. But, you know, I don't call too. I don't call a lot. Only on, hen calling in the fall, yeah. When you got a gang broke up, you call like crazy. But uh, with the gobblers, I don't, uh, I'm pretty quiet. I mean, I, uh, 
I think we've had that scenario that I just mentioned other than the public, you know, we've had that out here a few times. Oh yeah. And, um, that would be similar to what I would do. I mean, that's one thing that I learned from Norm a little bit that, that kind of goes against the general consensus. You know, a, a lot of guys don't like to get close to turkeys and as far as, as close as him and I have tried to get, you know, you, you first off, you can't be afraid to, to bust them out of the tree because it's going to happen eventually. You know, if you don't know which limb he's on, you know, he's in an area, you know, you got to be aggressive and know that, you know, you can hunt him another day or, or whatever. But, um, you know, and I'm not talking, we don't want to be 20 yards from him when he wakes up, but I mean, you know, with, with no, the 50, hundred yards, yeah, something like that with yeah. the, the pressure, you know, being potentially in this scenario, a, a Saturday and it's public land and there could be a lot of guys in there. You know, I would, I would like to try to get as close to him as I can uh, essentially give him, you know, the least amount of space to, to walk around whenever he hits the ground, you know, just give that, you know, couple, couple little clucks. And I didn't, didn't put in this scenario whether there were hens with him or not, but we'll just say for the sake of argument that there was no hens, you know. Now, you, how can you, you play? How can you play if you know where that bird roosted, and you're going to get within that hundred yard circle, right? Okay. How can you play like, hey, he's more than likely going to pitch here. Like, how can you play then to that uphill, downhill, cross bank? Like, how do you position yourself to where he's at then? You know, within that circumference. I think he's mostly going to come off uphill. Okay, so when he comes off that limb, he's going to land uphill. I think more often than not, or sideways. But he'll—I don't think he'll ever. If he's on the side of a bank, like up in, here on the mountain hunting, they'll be out on the side. I don't think they'll almost never fly off and go down a hundred yards or whatever. They might fly off and go clear across the river. Right. <laughs> but like we talked, you know, before when they're they like to fly off. It's just the ease of coming yep. down. The, they like you know, to hit the, the ground real close. I mean, yep. it's a long way down on this side of the tree, and it's real yeah. short here. They're coming yeah. down back here yeah, usually. But okay, let's uh, let's move on to number two here. Um, I'll just say you, you don't have them exactly roosted, but let's just say you know there's birds on this particular property. Um, you have an idea that you're going to get, you know, within a couple hundred yards of them and they just gobble and gobble let's say this is beginning of the season they gobble and gobble on the limb and you know you're calling a little bit they're gobbling back at you and then you hear some hens with them then they hit the ground they fly down then you don't hear anything else what would you do in that case i still keep hen calling (laughs) is there too much is there too much hen calling like, like, how do you know when to, yeah, like you I, said? I, like I said, I, in spring gobbler hunting, I hate to overdo the hen calling. I mean, it's just, I just, uh, Mike knows. I, uh, he's been with me. We've hunted, you know, quite a few times, but, uh, I, I'm more call less than, but in the fall, it's just the opposite. Right, right. Now, if there's a hen with that gobbler, when they fly down, you know, and you can hear her, you know, talking at the same time, do you try to call? with her yeah, i'll still keep talking okay. to her okay. yeah, and okay. hope she comes to me because a lot of times that she will and he'll come right yep. along i think in in my opinion on that scenario that's what i would be looking at was i know 
he flew down and he's looking right at his hen. So there might be two or three hens there, whatever. Um, if he's not gobbling, I'm switching my tactics to the hen. Now I'm I'm dealing with just a hen. I want to try to either if she's calling, mimic what she's doing, or if she's not calling, try to maybe get a little more aggressive. You know, maybe do some cutting and some you know clucks and purrs, whatever it might be, to try to basically make her mad and show her that you know she's not the the boss hen around here, and in hopes that she comes in, you know, trying to figure out who's in on her turf and right behind her is going to be your gobbler. You know, now it doesn't always happen like that, but yeah. that, no, at that ahead. point, if they're not gobbling, you got to do something. And and that would be what I would do. Um, but that live decoy is what you want. Oh, you know, essentially. Yeah. She'll bring them right with them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and they, you know, quite often that that doesn't work. You know I mean? The hen a lot of times takes them the other way. Oh, right. Right. <laughs> oh yeah. Sometimes it works. My first turkey that we talked about, uh, whichever episode that was, that's exactly what happened. We we got to being real aggressive, which I remember that was the last 20 minutes of the season on the last day. So we didn't have anything to lose. So we just started cutting and cackling and, you know, everything as aggressive as you could. And it got that hen fired up and she come in and... That's uh, that cackling and stuff. Sometimes it don't it don't always work, but boy, once in a while, it's just like uh, it's just a thing. Yeah, it's just what what it you took. Know. And there's there's a lot of other factors in there that I didn't include. I mean, if you're in an area that that you have scouted prior and you know that you know you're set up near a little meadow in the woods or something that these birds like to go to, you know, the other thing that you can do that a lot of hunters, including myself, don't have a lot of is patience. <laughs> so if, you know, sometimes just sitting there and listening to, you know, what's going on, that'll help you out. And a lot of times, you know, those hens will fly down, move off onto their nest, and then all of a sudden, now there's a gobbler. So um, we'll, we'll take that right into uh, the third one here. So... Uh, let's just say you slept in or whatever happened, you ha you're you still out hunting, and it's sometime between 10 and noon. Let's say it's, you know, beginning of the season, you can only hunt till noon, and let's just say it's 1030, and you're out, you know, walking the, the mountainside or something, and you decide to make a call, and you hear one gobble at, you know, 500 yards. He's way out there. Um, are you going to set up right then, or how would you go about that? Oh, I'd try to move in. I'd keep on going. Okay. And hope that I didn't bust him. Yeah. And sometimes you do, and sometimes you don't. You know? And you don't come home with a turkey every time you go hunting. No, so. exactly. That's why they call it hunting, <laughs> yeah, right? Exactly. That's right. Um, so what I was getting at in that scenario is that 10 o'clock to 12 o'clock or, you know, even later, 10 to 2 even when in states you can hunt, you know, all day or our second half of the season. Um, it used to not be my favorite time frame, but it's it's getting to be better and better there, that uh, time frame when you might get those birds that gobble on the limb and then they shut up, you know, give them a couple hours. You know, if they're not talking or anything, that's a lot of times the strategy I would have taken on the prior scenario 
if you get one that flies down and he's not gobbling at all, I might just go home for a couple hours, you know, go home, get some breakfast, get back out there, you know, fresh for, you know, 10, 1030. And that's how I killed my second bird last year. Went in the morning, didn't hear anything. You know, I walked the entire mountain up here, the whole way back to the private property, didn't hear a bird. And then went down the river to where we hunt at 1030, pulled in and those birds gobbled at my first call. And a lot of times, if you can strike a bird up between, you know, that 10 o'clock and after, their hens left, they went to the nest, those birds are looking for, you know, a hen. And a lot of times when they answer, they're on their way. And that proved to be the point there. I mean, it was, like I said, three minutes from the time that I, I heard them gobble till I had my hands around them. So um, that can be a very, very deadly time. You know, I can think of another one up here on the point. Uh, a couple years ago, my dad did that. Uh, Ten thirty or so, he he gobbled and uh, he was down over. Dad was almost back to the point, and this bird gobbled down over by the the little parking lot, and he sat down and it essentially came running up over the side, and he shot it at like twenty yards at like ten thirty, eleven o'clock yeah. in the day. That's one thing too. When they shut up, whenever they, uh, when they're down and they finally quit on you, uh, you don't want to just jump up and go home right away. That's the time you sit real still and keep your eyeballs moving yeah, around. Move your eyes before your head. <laughs> they come walking in without ever making a sound. All of a sudden, I have so many times stood up and there he went. He was right there and. Uh, yeah, because if, if you were, you know, in that first scenario that we talked about where he gobbled on the limb, he may gobble at your calls and, and whatnot, don't think they don't know exactly where they that came from. They know where you are. It is amazing <laughs> how they can pinpoint from hundreds of yards away where that turkey call was coming I from. I had one fly clear off the top of the mountain out there. He was gobbling and gobbling at me all morning, and he flew down and landed Six feet from my feet, I was sitting down with my back against a big oak tree, and he hit the ground. And I had little sticks into the ground with leaves, you know. I'd cut some branches and stuck them around me and had that old 10 gauge. And that guy landed. Even maybe it might have even been closer than six feet. My feet are sitting out there, and he hit right in front of my feet. And he stood there, turned around, looked. And he looked at me, and all of a sudden, he just froze, and then he took off running. And my gun was standing <laughs> back here like this against a tree. And uh, the first shot, I got the thing down, missed him with the first shot because I was shooting at his head, and it was he was close. And then he kicked off flying, well, then he dropped. But uh, Had you had the gun shouldered? You could have probably oh, hit him if it had been it, across my lap. Yeah, <laughs> but I had it leaned against a tree. Yeah, <laughs> I wasn't thinking that. I mean, I knew he was up there gobbling, but he just came off the top, clear off that top. Yeah. I, and that was out here, at, uh, just out the mountain here, over across the and not far from here. So the way a turkey can see and the way a turkey can hear, if a turkey could smell, could you kill it? Oh, I don't think so. I mean, so. The only animal that fits all those is a coyote. Yeah, right. Good luck killing and killing them. That's right? the hardest, in my opinion, one of the hardest animals in the state to kill. Yeah, 
Yeah, here in PA, I think they're yep. a lot harder to kill here than other places. Oh, yeah. Yep. And then, I mean, they have the smell of a deer, you know, and the eyes of a turkey, essentially. That's, that's pretty wild. But So, all right, the last scenario I got here is um, just hopefully we don't have any scenarios like this this year. But let's just say you went, you got out in the woods, you didn't have anything located, you just went out, you don't hear any gobbling. What do you do? Just nothing's going on in the woods, you know, it's just, there's no, it doesn't even seem like there's a turkey in the county. So what are you going to do to try to increase your odds on a day like that? Hmm. You can't say go back to bed or go back for breakfast. (laughs) Walk and call, call and set and uh, get up and move again and, you know, but, and that's, uh, you know, there again, when you get up and move, sometimes you're going to be get, get up and flush them, but if there's, you know, that's just, you're just playing the game at that point. Yeah. It's a little yep. bit of luck. So how long would you, once you sit down, if, if let's say you're just walking up, you know, a property or a piece of public, public land or whatever, um, and you sit down and decide to call for a little bit, you know, how long are you going to typically sit there before you pack up and move to a new spot? I probably am going to set at least 15, 20 minutes. I mean, maybe even longer. You know, sometimes if I really know there's been some there, I might stay longer, but probably I'd move on in 20 minutes most of the yeah. time. Yeah, and, and like you said, you know, you you got to be aggressive and you got to be afraid or not be afraid to potentially bump one. I mean, that's a good thing with turkeys. I mean, you know, we're not talking about a 130-inch buck right now. You He's know. four miles away when you bump him. Yeah, right? exactly, like. You know, obviously we don't try to bump a turkey or anything for that matter, but with a turkey, you know, say you bump him out of the roost that morning. He might not come back to that same tree that night, but he'll be back there at some point, you know. He'll be somewhere gobbling, hopefully, in the next, you know, day or so. And and I've had somewhat success with, you know, going into an area that I bumped a turkey and, and having luck with him being back in that same area. So, um you know, you can get away with a little more than than if you would be hunting the, you know, the biggest buck on your property. Well, having uh, like a, another thing, too, is this thing of uh, uh, rainy nights, stormy nights. Yep. Uh, if there's a storm coming, they have their, they'll, they'll roost different. Oh, yeah. Uh, a lot of times. I mean, well, you know here. We know that when it, uh, yeah. if we get a, a rainstorm's coming in and everything, we know we'll have turkeys out here on the. I'll be, I'll always text them, hey, did you see any tonight? You know, I'm, I'm guessing we may have missed one walk by the window. Yeah, yeah on, a, on a night, a lot of times, rainy nights and stuff here where it was raining, it's getting toward dark. They'll come in off of somewhere over there, come across my yard out there and down over, and they'll roost down over the. They're out. They get down over the side, out of the wind, and okay. pop up on a tree. Gotcha. And that happens over and over, doesn't it? Oh yeah, yeah. So if we would, let's just say, we are out scouting, or we don't have a game plan at all, we know that there was weather moving in that night. If if you find those locations, that's an easy spot to go in the morning and just say i'm gonna go there and sit I'm so not you're gonna, using the terrain then yeah you're or just prior out. knowledge from you know everything keep that in your notebook that you know last year when it got real nasty and the you know the wind was coming out of the you know the west and you know this 
slope kept them out of the wind, and that's where we saw them, you know. Keep that in mind, and, and we've, you know, you can almost write write it down that, you know, if we're getting some nasty weather from, you know, the south. And then hilly here. country. You know, here in Pennsylvania, we have lots of these uh, cliffs. you got the river over here, the cliff along there, and depending on the winds and whatever, it makes a difference where they go to roost. Now, what do you, like, if you had a idea of that, you know, you think, hey, you know, we have a storm coming in, the front's going to be in, you think the birds are there. Do you, as a locate, will you call, will you hen call to locate, or do you, of course, owl or crow or something like that? I mean, what do you do to? I will, I will try a crow or something off and on, but more often than not, I putt. I'll just make a couple little putts or something, and, and usually that'll draw a gobble. You know, if if you're already close to him, if you're in, if you've moved in fairly close, yeah, if you know he's there, I would almost be more inclined. If you know there's for sure a bird there, I like to go as long as I possibly can without making a noise. Mm, Let yep. him gobble on his own. Let him do it for you. Yeah, you right. still have the upper hand if he doesn't even know you're there. Sure, and yeah. it's easier for you, you know, because like we said, they're up in a tree. You, they already have that on you. Absolutely. When you make the first call, they're pinpointing you. You know, oh, if, boy, if they're yeah. able to see or you know see in that general area, and a lot of times you know they'll pick you out before you know if you're that close. But um, you know, in those scenarios, I definitely like to try to be above them if possible. Well, I've gotten too close many a time, and they picked me off. I mean, I didn't see them until it was too late when they flew off. There he was. He was close. I got too close. But there, there's definitely something to say on the flip side of that. I mean, you can absolutely, if the scenario presents itself or you feel like that's one of your potential options to get close to them. I mean, you know, we've we've discussed this many a times. Like, a turkey is hearing all kinds of stuff in the middle of the night when it's pitch black. You know, we've had them fly out of the trees in, you know, the middle of the night, whether we're tracking a deer or, you know, whatever it may be. But, like, they got to hear raccoons, deer, coyotes, everything running out in the Midwest where there's, you know, cattle in the woods. So, you know, I, I often wondered that for a while. Like, you know, could you get away with sneaking in close to a turkey? And so we started, you know, not using flashlights, just, you know, it, it helps if it had rained or, you know, the leaves are damp or whatever. But um, I don't know if I told you ever the story, Trent's second bird last year. He was right off the public trail. It's a game lands road. I mean, we were 10 feet off the road. And we had no choice but to set up within 50 yards of him. And and we walked right by that turkey. I mean, it's just, you know, it wasn't ideal, but the only, you know, only scenario we had was to try to get to this big oak tree, and we had to walk past him. We got there an hour and a half before daylight. And do you think at that time he just didn't know what you were? I, I mean, you know, you could argue that they're sleeping. Okay. I mean, but I just think, you know, we took our time. You know, we may have only went 50 yards in five minutes, but – you know, try to 
He wasn't as, startled. He as wasn't, best you can, yeah. sound like a deer or something sure, sure. walking, you know. And sure enough, when when it got light out, he was sitting right there where we roosted him the night before, and and that bird flew right down. It, you know, we were on a steep bank. We were above him. So essentially with the angle and the distance, we were eye level with that bird when he woke up. So we were like motionless for the entire time. It was it was very uneventful. Like if you were filming it, it wouldn't have made a real good episode. But it was like, you know, you were tense from the time he woke up. You know, that first gobble, we knew that like if we moved an inch, he was going to see us. So we had to sit there for, you know, a long time. Talk about patience, right? Oh, yeah. And, I mean, that turkey's he flew right down to us. He His feet, he made like may have been on the ground for two seconds wow <laughs> and then we we got him but but yeah that was that was one there where you know if if we would have been walking up there with a flashlight or whatever you know that i don't think i would have done but you know um it was it was definitely a nerve-wracking one but I'd ideally not like to set up that close to them, but that was just one of those scenarios where, you know, it was late in the season. We were okay with getting aggressive. We already had filled I, – I had no tags left. Trent had one, so we just decided, you know, we're going to we're gonna go after him. And there was actually two long beards roosted there, and we what we tried to do was get in between them, and that's what we did. So uh, we didn't even take a call with us. We took a gun and – our seats to sit on like we knew that we weren't gonna be doing anything so that's all i have for notes here <laughs> i mean we're we're at an hour and a half so that's, i mean that's pretty you can talk and talk out there. oh yeah yeah <laughs> there's a lot of stories oh yeah you i mean how many it. times have we you know sat up here and just talked about everything for you know a long time i've been been excited to get up here and hit the record button on so now i'll at least have it forever but um so just thanks for telling us some turkey stuff and bring it back to history yeah. that, that's the biggest thing you know yeah that, oh yeah for sure <clears throat> yeah we can't we can't recreate any of that that's that's engraved in you and just to hear it and have it come out again that's that's what it's all about yeah well i i wished i wasn't quite so far along this ladder this road because <laughs> i know i don't have too many more you know i've had both hips replaced and uh, a couple of minor back surgeries and the hiking just doesn't uh, work too good anymore i think you're getting around good for for all the stuff that you've had you know operated on or or setting you back but definitely you know, you you got to be, it's definitely got to be in your blood to not let any of that stuff. I mean, you know. Yeah, well, I said you don't want to, you know, you know when, if I quit hunting, it's done. You know, that was the most important thing almost through my life. Well, I mean, we li we worked, but we lived to hunt. You know, with that, we hunt, that was hunting. We, had, we had that discussion the other day. I mean, you know, uh, obviously people have other hobbies other than hunting, but like, you know, thank goodness when we're yeah, <laughs> for when, us, for us. Yeah, I mean, we're like we've been amped up for turkey season here for the last, you know, three, four months. And then when that's over, we go into waterfowl and then deer. Like what what do people that never hunt and that population of people is a lot higher than the hunter population? You know, what do those people do in the morning? You know, they wake up in the morning and just, you know, go do their thing. And just just think if they all went hunting. 
Oh, yeah. how horrible would be. <laughs> we oh. wouldn't have anything left to hunt. No, we wouldn't. Not. We don't know what pressure is. Yeah, it's you probably, know? probably a good You're thing. Right. But, but yeah, I, I mean, I love the, you know, the technology that we have, and you know, the camera gear and everything else. But, but I often think, man, it would have been awesome for me to have been, you know, growing up back in the day whenever. It was know. just as much fun. I mean, yeah. it was as much fun to us. Yeah. We were, you know, learning something. We were trying yeah. stuff. We were. Yeah. yeah, you didn't have the computer to and, look and up it, how to trap or, you know, and, you and went when out we and killed a it. turkey, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of guys around killed a turkey any year. It's a big deal. Know? Yeah. Yeah. And if you got to the point where you could kill a turkey every year or two, uh, you know, you were pretty proud of that. Well, I think that's about all we want to cover today so you know thanks for sitting down and telling us some stories and it was fun thanks for i mean you know this is only an hour and a half but i mean we've been (laughs) friends for we will revisit this oh yeah i I got a really good feeling we're going to revisit this oh yeah i mean uh, we've been i can't even remember when we first met it was i think i was 16 or 17 you know so you know 15 plus years ago and and i don't know if i know anybody that's taught me more about hunting or fishing or heck even welding now I'm, i can weld now because you so i mean i wouldn't build a house or you know pull a trailer with something i welded but i mean i can get i can get metal to stick together yeah he does he actually does pretty good does he so yeah i mean you know you can burn rods that means something well i'm sure we'll have you have you back on again i'd like to you know get your brother involved and i'm sure you guys get your brother and your dad they can tell some real stories oh yeah i don't know about that we might have (laughs) we have to edit a couple of their stories yeah (laughs) that's for sure they'd have to yeah we'd have to uh cut a few of them out yeah yep i think so all right well thanks for being on and uh you're welcome be getting after some turkeys here soon maybe we'll we'll get that double this year yep we'll get some real pictures now yeah right (laughs) well did he tell you there were over 60 turkeys here in he the did. yard a few days ago he did there were none up all well there was one day there was eight jakes came in here and then all of a sudden one morning out here it's turkeys from end to end i asked him if he was, and they haven't that they're gone that was it they haven't been back <laughs> since either yeah. i asked him if he was drooling whenever he heard that and he didn't have an answer <laughs> oh yeah so you know that was true yeah so yeah all right well all right thanks everybody for listening and we'll see you next time <laughs>